SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome everybody into another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. I am your host, Brian Stone, Georgia's Southern writer for Underdog Dynasty. Joined once again this week as we sort of wrap up the regular season here by Georgia State writer, Zeke Palermo. Zeke, like I said, you know, we're in the last week of the regular season. Uh, we're gonna. This is the last game we're going to see from a number of teams uh, in the Sun Belt at this point. Um yeah, man, it's it's kind of sad, you know. Football's <laughs> winding down, but uh, we're gonna get into uh, conference championship time. We're getting into bowl bids, things like that. So from that perspective, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's a it's a really exciting part of the year. Unfortunately, um, not a ton of Sun Belt teams are making many moves. Uh, obviously, none are making a, a CFP push, and but aside from that, it feels like a below. A typical number of teams are going to be making a bowl game appearance, but nonetheless, um, excited to talk about, obviously, last week's slate of games, this upcoming week's slate of games, and uh, look forward to uh, what postseason action we may have. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So let's start off with last week's games. Um, I guess not a lot to talk about in this one, but Florida State absolutely rolled uh, Louisiana 49-17. to um, This game was over basically from the end of the first quarter on. Uh, Florida State laid on 21 unanswered to start the game. Uh, at halftime, this one was 35-3. to This was just a master class. Uh, of how to how to handle a lesser opponent from the Seminoles, and like I said, coming into this season, I didn't know what to expect out of Florida State in this game. I thought that if Florida State played uh, in this one or had played to this point in the season in preseason, um, how they had the last couple years under Mike Norvell, that they were maybe primed for an upset. But uh, just absolutely no doubt who the better team was in this one. Yeah, I mean, despite the scoreline and the the real dominance, as you mentioned, it was thirty five nothing at one point uh, in this game. I, I feel like UL put up a solid enough fight. I mean, two hundred ninety one yards is by no means laughable. Uh, they only, uh, Louisiana only had five less first downs than the Seminoles. So uh, again, not a ton to add. This was a pretty cut and dry game. We knew what the uh, outcome was going to be this time last week, but uh, just unfortunate that Louisiana was unable to show a ton of improvement um, as compared to their last couple games. Uh, I mean, obviously they beat Southern last week, but before that against Southern Miss and Troy, those losses um, didn't feel like much of an uptick from those games. Yeah. uh, So they had real trouble, especially in the first half, containing uh, the Jordan Travis uh, Seminoles quarterback on the ground. Uh, He threw he ran for uh, two touchdowns in the first quarter alone. Treshawn Ward also had two touchdowns rushing in the first half. Travis added another one with his arm in the in the first half to to, like I said, make it 35 to three at halftime. Is there anything sadder in sports than being down five touchdowns and kicking a field goal as time expires in the first half? (laughs) Unfortunately not. Um, You know, my, 
I, you talk about those scores right before half being a momentum shifter, but obviously uh, not one here. No, uh, uh, you know when you're when you're struggling to get anything going, uh, you know on the ground through the air, what have you, uh, kicking a field goal like I said, and and cutting the lead to just thirty two is not really going to cut it. Uh, yeah, I, again, not a lot to to talk about from the Sun Belt side of things. Uh, Chandler Field struggled to throw the ball in this one. Uh, as a team, Louisiana couldn't really run the ball. They ran for under four yards a carry uh, total. Um, yeah, like I said, not a, not a lot to, to to sort of take away from this game, other than you know Louisiana was just flat out class. So Florida State moves to eight and three with the win. Louisiana drops to five and six on the season. Uh, getting into this next game, Zeke, I'm going to need some some help uh, since yeah. you watched this game fairly clearly, piecing this together. I don't know where. So Georgia State lost to James Madison 42 to 40. I don't when I'm looking at this, I don't know where Georgia State got the points from, to be mm-hmm. totally honest. I know they returned two fumbles for touchdowns, but when you look at the way that they scored, you know, particularly in the first half and took that 34 to 14 lead, I'm just sitting here going, okay, you kicked a couple field goals, you had some defensive scores, and you get the one long pass to Jamari Thrash. It just doesn't. It doesn't compute in my brain that that they scored thirty four off of the way that they played the first first half, and it doesn't. It doesn't compute that James Madison had to come all the way back down twenty to to overcome Georgia State. But that's sort of what happened. I get what you're saying. You know, the math doesn't really add up based on. I mean, Georgia State only two hundred fifty seven offensive yards and only turned the ball over once. Um, so it doesn't make. A ton of sense, but if you really do break it down, um, two of those tu- two of their touchdowns were uh, fun- scoop and scores, so that's fourteen of your forty points, which brings your total down to uh, twenty six. Then you add in two field goals, you got twenty points. Um, so now you only need to make up three offensive touchdowns, which feels, uh, I mean, at two hundred fifty seven yards, one turnover, three touchdowns is fairly uh, feasible. Yeah, um, you know, despite the the close final score, Todd Santeo absolutely shredded uh, Georgia State secondary through the air. 21 of 27, 274, four touchdowns, no picks. Um, why do you and, – and I understand that pretty much every game that Todd Santeo has actually played for James Madison, that he's done this to other teams. I, I mean, even the game they lost, the Sun Belt game they lost to Southern – I mean, he was tearing them up through the air. Um, why do you think it was that Georgia State had so much trouble sort of containing the passing game of, uh, of James Madison? Um, there's no real thing to point at. Georgia Southern's secondary is not extremely, extremely great. They've got some guys at, uh, in the secondary, and Tavius Lane um, being one of them who you can point at and say that's a real playmaker in the secondary. But all season, it's not like Georgia State's been holding opposing quarterbacks to you know real mediocre numbers. Um, I mean, Centeno was just incredibly efficient. He didn't throw an incomplete pass at all in the first half. And, uh, I mean, he uh, – you know, a quarter of his throws were for touchdown. He was only averaging 10, 10 per completion. So it was more of a, or 10 per attempt. It was more of a, 
it's not like they got diced up all evening. You know, he was just playing really sound eight, 10, 12 yard passes all, uh, all afternoon. And that was more than enough to, uh, mount the comeback. And if you can speak a little bit to Darren Granger's performance, I've talked about the Jekyll and Hyde sort of mm-hmm. experience with him. You sort of get the, uh, the Mr. Hyde this week. He completes less than half of his passes for 176 and a touchdown. Definitely didn't help Georgia State in this game at all. Why, why do you kind of think he had some of those struggles? Granger is a unique passer, and I, I can't vouch whether this is him as a passer or the scheme. Uh, because I haven't had an opportunity in covering Georgia State to experience them without Granger. So this may be a him issue. This may be a scheme issue. His passing is, I mean, it's a lot of play action stuff. It's a lot of deep downfield sort of plays um, that's set up by an incredible rushing game. Throughout the game, I mean, Georgia State only ran for 81 yards, which is their lowest in a calendar in the past calendar year. Um, and so if they're not capable of rushing, well, this is true for any team, but Georgia state, especially with the type of offense they run where it's very, you know, high ceiling boomer bust type of plays, Granger just wasn't put in a situation where he could make those passes. I mean, like we were saying, Centeo wasn't going boomer bust. He was grabbing media, medium range passes. Um, that's just not the type of quarterback Darren Granger is. That's not the type of offense Georgia state plays. Um, so he just wasn't put in a situation to be successful. And I mean, part of that's his own fault. Uh, he rushed for only 31 yards, which uh, isn't a small number for a quarterback, but he's expected to shoulder a bit more, uh, on a weekly basis. All right. Well, Georgia State drops to four and seven and three and four in Sunbelt play with the loss. James Madison improves to seven and three and five and two in the conference with the win. Um, Let's get into the next game here. App State Old Dominion. Uh, This was another game where one team just absolutely outclassed the other in the first half. But it proved that Old Dominion, as they have the last couple weeks, just simply doesn't have enough offense to to keep up with a lot of Sunbelt schools. Um, App State jumped up to a 24 to nothing lead at halftime, pushed that out to 27-0 in the third quarter uh, on a Michael Hughes field goal, and then just sort of took their foot off the gas. And Old Dominion was able to score a couple touchdowns in the last seven minutes of the game, but by that point it was it was far past over. Um, yeah, it, I, I mean – you can say take this with a grain of salt because it is Old Dominion's offense and they've definitely had some struggles, but a good a good uh, defensive performance from App State, which is sort of a throwback to what we've seen in years past with them being able to just shut teams down on defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, unfortunately for Old Dominion, uh, Ollie Jennings is still out with injury and this just kind of goes to show you how reliant they are on him um they did have a a great receiving performance from javon harvey on four catches 133 yards two of those catches for touchdowns but without jennings this offense has been stagnant and even with him it was fairly questionable at best i mean you remember when they played georgia southern uh, and you'll 
vouch for this. One of the worst defenses, if not the worst defense in the conference and only put up 23 points. So it's just on this offense as is, is so stagnant and so lackluster. And then you take out the one guy that you could rely on for yardage on any given week. It's just even worse. Yeah, you mentioned the the two catches that he had for touchdowns. I mean, factoring in the fact that he only had four catches for the whole game, you got to think that half of his production came in the final seven minutes of the game when it was far out of reach. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess credit to him for catching those two touchdowns, but like App State may have been playing third, second and third stringers by that point in the game. I mean, you're up 27 to zero going in the last quarter. And it doesn't feel like, you know, Old Dominion has much on the offensive side of things. Like, why not get some younger guys some some run, uh, in a, especially in a conference game? But um, Chase Bryce played very well um, in this one. 15 of 21, 291 and two scores. Um, one to Caden Robinson, one to Christian Wells. They ran the ball fairly effectively with Amani Marshall, who went for 137 and a touchdown. Um yeah, I mean, disregarding, like I said, disregarding the level of opponent they played, App turned in pretty much a complete team performance in this one, which I had personally kind of expected to see more of this season rather than just sort of in the last game or last mm-hmm. penultimate game. Um, but yeah, App improves to six and five this season, three and four in the Sun Belt. Uh, Old Dominion drops to three and eight and is now two and five in Sun Belt play. Uh, getting into this next game here, South Alabama, uh, barely, you know, I, I say barely, but they held off, uh, Southern Miss 27, 20. I didn't expect this game to be as close as it was. I honestly couldn't believe at halftime, um, that the score was 13 to 10. Uh, I, I watched a little bit of this game when the Georgia Southern Marshall game got out of hand. Uh, and I could, I felt like I could pretty comfortably cut that one off, but I couldn't believe South Alabama was was down 10 to three to start the the second quarter, to be totally honest. Uh, We've talked about Southern Miss's offensive struggles, South Alabama. It felt like a team that could do pretty much whatever on offense, but um, you know, it took them four full quarters to, to sort of put together a, a complete game performance. Carter Bradley threw two picks, which is not ideal clearly. Um, But I, I, you know, credit to them. They didn't play overly well, but they did come away with the win in this one. Yeah. In this game, uh, Southern miss, it seems like they've settled with Trey Lau as their quarterback. Um, at least for these final three games of the season, um, after not really getting much tick up until November, um, which makes indicates to me, I mean, this is a team that since last season has been juggling, you know, three or four different quarterbacks, one of them being a true running back and Frank Gore. Um, so that indicates to me that even though Lau, I mean, he was 18 for 33, uh, under 200 yards in this game, uh, I guess he's the guy going. Going forward, he's a junior, so he's got at least a year more of eligibility. Um, so barring some sort of transfer action, I guess Lau is going to be the guy into the offseason. And if you're Southern Miss, I mean, you take solace in the fact that you've at least now selected a guy to be the quarterback. Whether he's good or not is a separate question, but now you have somebody and you have that uh, peace of mind uh, of security of knowing at least we have a guy. Yeah, I mean – 
I wouldn't be shocked to see Southern Miss as a as a player uh, at the quarterback position in the portal because, you know, it feels like while their offense has been limited, I mean, they've had some games where they've scored enough points where you think, like, if they just get a half-respectable quarterback performance from one of these guys, you know, going back to Wilkie or, like you said, uh, Trey Lowe or Lau or however his name is pronounced – I mean, if you if you even get a half decent quarterback performance, I mean, Southern Miss is probably a seven win football team at this stage of the season. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a it's been a struggle the last few years at the quarterback position for Southern Miss, and and we're sort of seeing those results bear out. Um, like I said, Carter Bradley. I mean, you kind of you kind of have to take the good with the bad, but through three touchdowns, through two picks. You know, it, it is what it is. It was a really up and down performance. He had to to come from behind to beat Southern Miss in this one. Um, but like I said, you know, I, I think the mark of a good team is, you know, being able to pull out a victory when you're not as a team playing all that well, mm-hmm. uh, and and being able to kind of tough it out and find a way to win games. And that's that's what Southern Alabama, oh, South Alabama, did against Southern Miss in this one. South Alabama moves to nine and two this season, sixty one in conference play. Southern Miss drops to five and six and is now three and four in the Sun Belt. Um, getting into this next game here, I, I, I wasn't surprised that Troy beat UL Monroe. I was more surprised about how it happened because you and I talked about last week how we we both thought this game would be under uh, the number of 48 and a half. Troy's struggling to score points. UL Monroe you know, is not going to be able to score against Troy's defense. Uh, and, you know, we didn't trust the spread. We didn't trust the over-under. Well, Troy, you know, found a running game, clearly, uh, mm-hmm. by having, you know, Kimani Vidal go for 242 yards. That'll help uh, score, put some points on the board. They didn't ask Gunnar Watson to do a whole lot, which I guess is a, a winning formula at this stage. And, they they absolutely handled the Warhawks thirty four to sixteen. Yeah, I mean neither, as you said, neither of us really trusted the spread nor the over under. Um, but it's important to note that ULM, as much as I mean, this is the most Troy's allowed in a good handful of weeks. I'm trying to look now. I mean, going back to, I mean Louisiana, they allowed seventeen, but before that, it was Western Kentucky back in week five was the last time Troy allowed more than 16, 17 points. Um, so, I mean, credit to the Warhawks for scoring this many. Um, although it wasn't until late, it's not like they were scoring these points throughout the game. It was a, a last-second field goal, um, as we were talking about earlier, down 20 nothing. You score a, a last-second field goal to end the first half, and then you had uh, two Chandler Rogers runs for score. Um kind of near the tail end of this game. So I, I don't know if this is an indication that ULM was overperforming or outperforming Troy's defense. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Kamani Vidal's um, rushing game. And what impresses me the most and what will always impress me the most about a running performance is that he it, he wasn't breaking off 80-yard chunk plays, you know? He, he, his longest was 40. You take that 40-yard rush out, he still has 200 yards on 28 carries. And that, I mean... That, that will always impress me if you're not relying on big chunk plays to have a big game like that. And uh, that he did. And, I mean, this Troy rushing game found its uh, found its footing, was able to uh, succeed under a 
you know, mediocre, passable Gunnar Watson performance. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good sign that they they established uh, a running game in this one. Maybe that carries over. Um, you know, a, as it stands right now, barring next next week's results, Troy is going to represent the West in the Sun Belt Championship game, having that tiebreaker over South Alabama. Um, they're going to need as much offense as they can get if Grayson McCall is healthy enough to play for Coastal uh, in that Sunbelt title game because, you know, Coastal, whether whether you like it or not, they're going to be able to score some points. You yep. know, it, it's going to be tough to keep them under 17 and hope that, like, I think it's a combination of two things. Number one, even if Troy held, let's say Troy held Coastal to 17, Troy, barring this game, has trouble putting over, you know, 20 points on the board in a given game. So, like, even if you get an all-time defensive performance from your defense in the Sunbelt title game, you're still going to have to score some points. I mean, you look, they just beat Army last week 10-9. to So it's Mm -hmm. not as if, like, this offensive explosion is is sort of a weekly occurrence that you can bank on. You can't really bank on much. Uh, with Troy's offense so it like I said it's good that they found Vidal and it's good that they they sort of established the run in this one hopefully that keeps up throughout the end of the season they play next week and then obviously if they if they win they play in the title game but we'll have to see if this these results sort of carry over from week to week but they haven't been tangible or consistent thus far for for troy so we'll have to see but uh regardless troy picks up the win and then moves to nine and two the season six and one in sunbelt play ewell monroe drops to four and seven and is now three and four in the conference um getting to the second to last game of the night uh texas state was able to gut out a victory over arkansas state thanks to a last second field goal by seth keller uh, that gave the Bobcats the 16 to 13 win. Um, it's sort of surprising that 29 co- total combined points were scored, given that the fact that both teams almost had 300 plus yards of offense in this one. But uh, that's sort of the way it panned out. Both these teams, I guess, were struggling, you know, as far as the red zone goes to put points on the board. But good win for Texas State, good win for Jake Spavadol. Still, don't am not a hundred percent sure if if it's enough to if what he's done this year is enough to keep him around for the foreseeable future. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the yardage to points ratio being a little surprising, uh, and I'm that I'm gonna just disagree with you a little bit because I think the greatest indicator of a good or bad team is the ability to turn yardage into points. Good, great teams turn yards into points. Bad teams don't. And uh, I mean Arkansas State at three, at three and eight. Texas State at four and seven. I mean these are two of the, the the basement dwellers of the Sun Belt, not just the West, but the conference as a whole. So to to be surprised by the near six hundred combined yards of offense, or I'm sorry, the over six hundred yards combined yards of offense turning into only twenty six points, uh, is not necessarily astounding to me. It was just these teams were putting together five six play drives. Um, and when they weren't doing that, they were going three and out. So uh, to call this outcome necess- or the scoreline surprising, it feels a little off base to me. Well, I, I think it's surprising given how bad both of these defenses have been every week. 
Um, you know, it, it's one yeah. of those things where it's like both teams have bad defenses, but I guess the offenses for their respective teams couldn't keep, couldn't find, you know, pay dirt essentially. Yeah. Which is, which is what's more surprising to me than anything that this ended up being like a low scoring 16 to 13 game when it's like Arkansas State is nothing but offense in how they're built. Now, that offense doesn't fire every week, but that's that's sort of the build of the team. Whereas Texas State, I mean, they've had some some pop off, you know, games on offense. You know, App State comes to mind, um, you know, things like that. But FIU is another one. But like I said, just weird that like both of these teams are not known for their defense at all, mm-hmm. and the offenses just couldn't even put touchdowns on the board, which is strange to me. But another another thing to think about, Texas State was down, you know, 10 to 3 going into the the fourth quarter and is able to put up, you know, 13 in the in the final quarter to to come away with the win in this one. Like I said, great win for Texas State. Any any win for them at this stage is is great. But again, I don't know what sort of the sentiment in San Marcos is as far as keeping spav it all around uh yeah. long term and whether that this is you know something they want to keep pursuing or not but regardless uh texas state moves to four and seven this season and is now two and five in the conference arkansas state drops to three and eight and is one and six in the Sun Belt. like i said i think uh i think we're we're coming to the end of the butch jones era even at the end of year two i don't i don't we're not seeing any improvement i think it's kind of getting to be tough to to make a case to keep him around um so getting into this last the last game of the night uh i said this in my in my preview for this game and it played out exactly as i had expected uh marshall just absolutely you know dominated georgia southern who again you can say it's injuries whatever they just the defense has never come to play this season. The offense has given up because they've lost so many receiving weapons. Marshall comes away 23 to 10. We got to see Rasheen Ali return uh, for the thundering herd, which was good. He, he led the team in rushing. Um, George Southern's one bright spot was Jalen white with 143 yards. He had a hundred yards in the first quarter Zeke and, and they didn't run the ball anymore after that. Um, so that should sort of tell you where where Georgia Southern's mentality is this year. Yeah, I was gonna. This game harkens back or makes me remember the uh, the Southern game when they played Old Dominion, and I remember asking you that uh, that following week because that was another Jalen White game. He had, I believe, 120 uh, rushing yards that game, and I remember asking you, "Is this uh, a trend that we can see moving forward?" And I think they proved that, or Southern proved this week that yeah, if they need to run the ball. Uh, and obviously you chose you mentioned they didn't really choose to after that first quarter but if they need to they can uh, I mean this is the first time that they've all season that they've had even remotely close um, passing and rushing yards and that was a uh, really just uh, as disappointing obviously as the uh, the defense is offensively that gives you a uh, some sort of silver lining and as mentioned Rasheen Ali good to see him back on the field um and he and Laybourne were splitting carries, and they neither really seemed to, you know, lose a step. They both averaged uh, Ali averaged four point nine, Laybourne four point one uh, yards per carry. So good to see him back on the field. Yeah, like I said, in this one, um, 
if if anybody wants to see a team that is completely thrown in the towel or wave the white flag, whatever metaphor you want to use on a season, go watch Georgia Southern play at this weekend because mm-hmm. you're going to see a team that offensively just I mean, I don't know if Van Trees has hurt or what or the, or the 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 offensive coordinator or the head coach has kind of put the clamps on him to try to limit mistakes or what is happening. Um, he hasn't looked good as of late. Um, like, like I said, they run the ball successfully to start the game and then they immediately go away from it. Um, and then they want to throw the ball, but the, but all of their receivers are hurt. So why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. And then defensively, I mean, they looked okay. This is probably one of the two better, this and the old dominion game are one of the, the two best defensive performances they've given up all year. And then the offense is just sort of like, like I said, waving the white flag, just saying, Hey, let's get out of 2022 and move on to next year. But, um, like I said, uh, you know, good to see Ali, good to see Laybourne, uh, be able to, to kind of both coexist within that, that offense. Uh, Cam Fancher has shown some improvement throwing the football, finished with 274 and two touchdowns. Like I said, th- this one, not only was it over by halftime because of the way that Georgia Southern was playing, but it also, it, it was just boring to watch. Like, especially mm-hmm. the second half, as soon as, when Marshall kicked that field goal to go up 23 to 10, I just cut it off because I was like, well, it feels crazy to say given the way that it started this year, but Georgia Southern being down 13 at this point in the season is an insurmountable, uh, you know, outcome for the Mm -hmm. Eagles to try to pull themselves out of, which is again, crazy. But when you, when you're putting up 384 yards of total offense, given the way that the offense played this year, it's, it's pretty disappointing, but um yeah, that's kind of what I expect from the Eagles at this stage. Uh, Marshall uh, moves to seven and four this season, and four and three in the conference. Georgia Southern drops to five and six, and is now two and five in Sunbelt play. Um, so let's get into this coming week in the Sunbelt. Um, let's start with noon kickoff. Um, Coastal Carolina is traveling to Harrisonburg to take on James Madison. Um, I guess the betting public assumes that Grace McCall, if he does come back this year, is going to hold out until the Sunbelt title game, um, given that the Chanticleers have, have clinched the berth because James Madison is a 13 and a half point favorite in this one over under is 54. If, if McCall doesn't play, give me JMU minus 13 and a half. Uh, Coastal is going to have a really hard time scoring points if Grayson McCall doesn't play. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been the issue with them uh, post-McCall injury. Uh, But it's a shame because I think with McCall, this is an incredibly, incredibly interesting game because James Madison, ineligible to make the Sunbelt playoff, uh, Sunbelt championship game. But were they eligible if they beat coastal here they would win the east um so i mean you could make an argument that a healthy coastal and jmu respectively are the two best teams in the conference so it's just a real shame that we got uh robbed assuming mccall doesn't play of uh what would have been a, a really really just fun football game yeah this if if the because also if you think about it this way james madison if they were in contention for going to the Sunbelt title game, um, this game would decide who represents the East. So this would be an incredible football game mm-hmm. if 
McCall had to go to get to the the title game. Um, But because he doesn't, Coastal can kind of just punt this game as a whole and just be like, all right, we'll see either Troy or or, uh, or South Alabama next week, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, I think JMU rolls in this one and sort of ends their season on a, on a really high note by, uh, by beating coastal in this one. Um, another noon kickoff. Uh, this one's not going to be uh, much, much competition either. South Alabama takes on old dominion. Uh, we've mentioned old dominion, you know, struggling offensively. South Alabama didn't look great last week, but old dominion just doesn't have enough weapons on the offensive side of the ball to keep up with, the Jaguars. Uh, South Alabama is a 16 point favorite over unders 48. I'm going to take South Alabama, even minus the 16 old dominion, just flat can't score points, man. Like it's, it's pretty bad at this point. Yeah. This one could get ugly. And uh, I think South Alabama's defense um, is also of note here. I mean, excluding their week game against uh, Georgia Southern three weeks ago, they haven't allowed 21 points. Uh, gosh, going back to October. Yeah, going back to October, it's been since uh, South Alabama has allowed it more than 21 points, again, excluding their game against uh, Southern. So this could get – I mean, 16 feels really easy because uh, I'm not sure Old Dominion's going to even score that many. No, for sure not. I mean <laughs> – I, I don't feel like it's too crazy to say that South Alabama has a better defense than App State at this stage in the season. And Old Dominion, it took them the final seven minutes of that game to even put any points on the board. So, yeah, I think South Alabama absolutely is going to roll in this one. I think I think the Jaguars are going to uh, be able to sort of check out of this one early and kind of put the backups in and give them some, some run. Um Another noon kickoff in this one, Georgia State takes on Marshall in Huntington, West Virginia. Marshall's a six-point favorite over under 45. Georgia State at this point is uh, out of contention to make a bowl, presumably, um, given that the the bowl selection committee doesn't have to do that thing where they don't have enough six and six teams, so they have to kind of step down and look elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think Marshall's going to win. Uh, to be totally honest, I think I think it's going to I think it's this one's going to be more back and forth, obviously, than the Georgia Southern Marshall game was. But I just think the the two headed rushing attack of Laybourne and Ali is just going to, I think, be too much for Georgia State's defense to sort of contain. Yeah, if you like running, uh, watching the rush game, this is going to be a really exciting one because, I mean, Marshall's got arguably the two statistically two best rushers in conference history between Laybourne and Ali. And then the Panthers have three or four guys that on any given week can drop a hundred yards. So if you like to watch the run, this will be a really fun game. But I, as you mentioned, I mean, even if the committee has to look at a five and seven team, Georgia state's not even sniffing that conversation, um, especially considering, you know, recency bias, how, poorly they played against JMU, you know, how they sold that game by such a, after leading by such a considerable margin. So I like Marshall by, uh, you know, more than a touchdown here. So minus six is another easy pick. Yeah. Um, another fun little, I guess, mini storyline in this game is, um, you know, coming into that Marshall Georgia Southern game, 
you wouldn't know it by looking at Jalen White's final stat line, but Marshall coming into that one had one of the best rush defenses statistically in the nation. Mm-hmm. Now they got gashed by Jalen White, like we mentioned, but is Georgia State able to run the football against that front that, I mean, frankly, not many teams have been able to put up significant yardage against Marshall. So we'll have to see how that all sort of pans out. Um, Getting into the 330 kick, listen, I I know the level of competition. I know who they're playing. Troy controls their own destiny, and they absolutely cannot slip up in this game, given that they they have the tiebreaker over South Alabama as it sits today. South Alabama presumably is going to roll over Old Dominion, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't think either one of us are, are too, uh, un, you know, I don't think we're giving uh, Old Dominion much of a chance in that one. So Troy has to take care of business in this game. Now, I don't think they're going to have much trouble with it, but I'm going to I'm gonna go back to the well and say that 13 and a half points as the favorite over Arkansas State is too much. I think Troy's offense is going to look more like it has in weeks past rather than last week. And I think it's going to, I think Vidal, if if they are going to cover this 13 and a half point spread, I think Vidal is going to have to run for another 240, which I don't know is going to happen again. So I think Troy wins the game. I think Arkansas State covers. I think this one's going to be fairly low scoring and Troy's going to win this one. Uh, I gotta agree with you. I think Troy wins maybe by 10 or so would be uh, my pick if I had to put an actual number to it. But I, as you mentioned, it you have to win. You cannot slip up for Troy, but I, that's just so incredibly unlikely. I mean, Arkansas State, when they played uh, South Alabama, as you mentioned, the other team that's in the, the Western playoff berth uh, conversation, uh, the Red Wolves lost, lost 31-3. to um, And We've said before, we'll say it again, Troy is not necessarily very likely to put up that sort of differential, but they're going to hold Arkansas State to probably under 14 points, and it's just going to be a matter of, Troy, can you get me more than two touchdowns? And I think they can. Yeah, I think so too. I, I'm just saying on the off chance that this game is 10-7, to 7, in in crunch time and James Blackman has the ball and and Troy you know Arkansas State by some miracle is driving down less than a touchdown it, you know I just I don't know I've seen crazier things happen than a, a team that was heavily favored like this dropping a game out of nowhere so yeah as long as Troy is ready for it and is and knows you know obviously what's at stake and isn't looking forward to coastal uh, already next year or next week um they should take care of business in this one um getting into the five o'clock kick uh eastern time southern miss is traveling to monroe to take on the warhawks uh, southern miss is a three-point road favorite over unders 51 the i don't know man maybe maybe vegas has figured it out sort of the the jig is up as far as i mean it took them 12 weeks but i actually like all the favorites this week um Mm -hmm. i like southern miss uh as far as defense goes um they play pretty stout solid defense outside of that loss to georgia state um they score just enough and ewell monroe has really been floundering these last couple weeks um on the offensive side of the ball you know I know UL Monroe was able to gut out wins over Texas State and Georgia State, but then if you go back before that, it's like 
They lost by 17 to Arkansas State, who we both agree is not good. Coastal, they lost by seven. South Alabama by seven. Army by 24. So I think Southern Miss covers the three-point spread in this one. I feel like UL Monroe is another another team that's just sort of packed it in for this season. Yeah, uh, I guess with Southern Miss uh, fighting for bowl eligibility here, uh, a win would give them a sixth win. Uh, that creates us some sort of a new dynamic in this game. But I just UL Monroe is very good on the uh, when they're at home. They're I want to get my numbers right. Uh, four and scratch that three and one at home and their one lo- this year and their one loss coming to coastal compare that to Southern Miss who while away is two and three. So sitting about a, at about 500. So despite the extra pep in your step that you're going to get from the golden Eagles, because they're playing for something as compared to Monroe, whose season is, um, you know, de facto over. I, I just like the trend here that Monroe plays well at home. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Another 5 o'clock Eastern time kick. Louisiana is traveling to San Marcos, another team fighting for ball eligibility with the Cajuns, to take on Texas State. UL is a five-point favorite in this one, over-unders 45. Again, I think I'm going to take Louisiana, and it's solely because, like, I just don't trust Texas State to be able to score enough. Um, is is my one big drawback. You know, La- last week they win a, a really close game against Arkansas State, who we agree is not good. S- they lost to South Alabama two weeks ago by seventeen. They lost to UL Monroe three weeks ago by one point. Um, you know, I know, I know. As far as common opponents go, both of these teams have lost to UL Monroe, but I just feel like Louisiana has too much defense for Texas State to sort of keep up in this one. Yeah, especially coming off uh, off of that whooping to FSU, Louisiana is going to be a little hot. And then, as you mentioned, again, they're playing for something, whereas Texas State is not. Uh, so I've got to take the Cajuns here just because I think they're a better team uh, with something to play for as compared to Texas State. Yeah, I agree. Um, so the last game of the night, 6 o'clock Eastern time kick from Statesboro, Georgia, App State travels to take on Georgia Southern uh, in the words of the Zoomers. They're having a mid off um, in this one. Both teams are fighting to make a bowl uh, app state is six and five. So they've technically already uh, qualified, but they can sort of improve their bowl standing with a win here. Georgia Southern, like I said, is not going to win this game. They've thrown in the towel on their season. You've never seen a team quit as hard as they, they have. Uh, with bowl eligibility on the line, but that's what they've done. Uh, App State is a four and a half point favorite uh, over under 63. I said this last week against Marshall uh, about Marshall in my preview. Do the following things if you can take App State straight, you know, four and a half, take the over team total for App State in points, take the under team total for Georgia Southern in points. You might go three and oh. Um, like I said, you've never seen a team effectively throw in the towel harder uh, with bowl eligibility on the line than you have Georgia Southern. Um, despite this being senior night, they've proven time and time again they just don't care about actually playing the game of football any longer in 2022. So, yeah, App's going to roll in this one. Yeah, this one I, I really do think could get ugly. This is a team that uh, you'll remember against Georgia State dropped 42 points. Uh, 
way back when against UNC dropped uh, 60 some odd points. So App State has the ability to just absolutely torch uh, defenses. And if it's as bad as you say, Brian, I mean, Georgia State stands no chance. Georgia Southern, yeah. Um, Thank you. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Uh, The last, think about this. At one point, Georgia Southern was a top 10 total offense in this country statistically. The last two weeks, they've combined to score 27 points. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't like they were playing world beater teams either. It was Louisiana, who, like we've said, is, is on the verge of qualifying for a bowl. And it's Marshall, who. I mean, while being the third best team in the East, you know, isn't hasn't been without their hiccups this season either. So it's it's not as if Georgia Southern is losing to these, you know, great teams that they're just overmatched against. They just, like I said, don't care. Um, so as we sort of wrap up here, Zeke, last full week of Sunbelt games, what are you looking forward to the most? Uh, I mean, it's got to be the JMU Coastal game, uh, even though I I feel like we've got a pretty good understanding of how this game is going to play out, assuming McCall doesn't play, and I can't imagine he will. Uh, I do think, I mean, this is the two best teams in the East, probably two best teams in the conference this year. Um, and e- even with a team, Coastal, missing their uh, the guy that really makes that offense go, I think it'll be an interesting matchup, one that's fun to watch, and uh, one I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on uh, in between uh, timeouts of the Georgia State game. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is a rough week for Sunbelt matchups. We, I, I wish we, like I said, I wish James Madison could qualify for the, the title game because I think that would make this Coastal James Madison game a, a must watch. But the fact that Coastal is just sort of punting on this game makes it kind of a eh mm-hmm. to me. Um, I actually want to see Georgia State and Marshall, and it's mostly because I want to see which team is able to, like you said, run the football more, uh, you know, I guess to put it plainly. Um you know, obviously me being a Georgia Southern fan and being a, a fan of a team that ran the option for many years, I'm st- the, the run still has a soft spot in my heart as far as uh, an offensive strategy goes, and both these teams can run the ball well. And like I said, I want to see if Georgia State can run the ball against a Marshall team that's been good against the run up until last week. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's one game I'm looking forward to the most. Zeke. As we sort of close here, like I said, last week in the Sun Belt, tell folks where they can find you on social media. I am on Twitter at Zeke Palermo, Z-E-K-E-P-A-L-E-R-M-O. Uh, post about the podcast, post all of my Georgia State stories there. Uh, we'll probably have some uh, postseason Sun Belt stuff going up pretty soon as well. Brian, I know you're on Twitter as well. Where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at WatchTheStone. Uh mercifully i will be posting my last two georgia southern articles as this season you know goes up in flames uh so to speak um but yeah that will do it for this uh edition of the underdog dynasty sunbelt podcast 